Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sander Lanch podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing Warbreaker chapters 17 through 21, wherein, you know, Vivenna and her crew come up with some plans. They're, they're plotting and planning and such. Siri comes up with a plan of her own and puts on a bit of a show. Light Song refuses to get out of bed. And and then we have Vasher back and a little bit of the action that you guys were asking for so much last time. So I'm Data, and with me is... Jamie. Jack. And Joe. So hang on to something, everybody. The Sander Lanch is about to begin. To emerge and to breathe anew For a purpose so far from my own and this world I've awoken to Seems familiar but somehow unknown And the branches of gold on the skyline Reach out to the sweep of the stars The beginnings and endings of lifetimes A guidance of light from afar Down, down, down so yeah, uh, before we get into it, I want to let everybody know we will not have a new episode for you all next week because I'm going to be on an Alaskan cruise and unable to record anything. So, sorry, nothing new next week. Come back the week after that for our continuing coverage of Warbreaker. But for now, we had uh, we had some interesting stuff. What did you guys think of these five chapters? Yeah, I thought they were good. I like that we got a little bit more with our mercenaries, and I I really like Dent. He seems to have a good heart as well. Pleased that we got to see a bit more of Vasha, but honestly terrifies me, this this Nightblood sword. But I guess kind of getting a few more hints about what that sword is actually maybe doing. I don't know. Mm. More Probably more hints in my than anything. Good to see that we've got some progression with Siri and the God King as well. And oh my gosh, isn't that just a sad situation? Like this poor, this poor guy. Yeah, that's a predicament I think both Joe and Duck have kind of brought up before about him not not aging. Like to an extent, he's kind of correct, but also it's just horrific. Yeah, but I'm pleased that we've had a little bit of progression in the story. From their their point of view, blue fingers. Yeah, I don't really fully know what's going on, obviously with him, but that's um, he seems pretty scared too. I don't know. Just when you think you've figured something out, not that we've actually figured anything out really. Uh, <laughs> it all changes on us as as classic Sandalanch territory does. Then I really liked it. I thought Vivenna's being handed a pretty rough run, <laughs> but it was it was good to kind of see a bit of bit of everyone. Light song, yeah, not much going on with him really, but I I kind of liked that we've we've got some more questions there now about his past and we we know someone who might be able to answer some questions. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes going forward. Yep. I like uh the yeah, talking about the God King, we've kind of gone back and forth on him, uh, where you guys are like, Oh, this guy's clearly like a jerk, like he's evil and we don't like him and then Joe and Joe and Dak both had theories that, you know, maybe he's he's like emotionally stunted or intellectually stunted. And that we definitely seem to get the implication of that with the book that uh, he's got. But uh, who knows? He could he, he he could be like, you know, wanting her to read him a kid's book and still be an evil guy who chops people's heads off in a fountain for all we know. 
Yeah, I just, I, I definitely feel like he is not making decisions in that place at all. He's there to be a pretty figurehead and probably his, uh, his uh, oh my gosh, his high priest is being all the jerkiness that everyone needs. But yeah, keep him out of sight, out of mind. We just need another heir. Off you go. Yeah, it's awful. I, I wasn't expecting for him to have had his tongue cut out and they never taught him anything. Like, that's not a way to mm. live. Yeah, Trelides is a jerk, so maybe maybe that's for. And I, I guess he's not writing paper airplane orders like we theorized before, which is a shame because that well, was really fun. Yeah. Well, so I, he can't he write. Be, he can't speak. He could just be drawing. That's true. He could be like an amazing artist. It doesn't sound like they're <laughs> they're letting him call any shots. <laughs> oh, he gets to sit in his rooms and not do anything, and then comes out when they they want him. And then they're like, go sit in that room, and we're not going to tell you what's going to go on with that naked lady. You'll have to figure it out. Yeah, but imagine that. Like, she's, like, terrified. He's going, I have no idea what to do here. <laughs> he's and he's I, sitting in his chair going, uh, what do I do? This is kind <laughs> yeah. of, like, a kind spirit, you know. She's not making him do anything. She's like, all right, this gets everyone off our backs. Just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's well, funny to me, too, because well, it's, it's like – it's like what in the world is he thinking at that point it kind of now that we got through that section i'm glad we read this stuff together because like when she's jumping up and down on the bed and he's confused like it just kind of gives it a whole new level it's like yeah he has no idea what she's doing <laughs> yep just like even like the in the previous chapters where she yelled at him it's like would you get, just get it over with already and he's just like get what over <laughs> uh jamie who did you say during the week that the two mercenaries remind you of Oh, for for anyone who's watched um, Tangled, the um, oh, that's right. The, 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 the guys at the snuggly. No, no, the um, um, like the, the the Vikings or the the guys who all sing. I have a dream. Right. Yeah. I've got a dream. Yeah. Um. That's every time I see these two pop up, I'm like, I hear that song, and it's yeah. <laughs> now, now, yeah, now you got me picturing Dent as. Uh, was was the guy who does one of those voices? The guy from like Everybody Loves Raymond. What's that guy's name? Oh, uh, I don't know. Tall guy. Yeah. The brother. I think he's yeah, done the brother. Picks, he's done a few Pixar movies, isn't he? Brad Garrett, isn't that? That's him. Brad Garrett, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, now Denth can be Brad Garrett. Full <laughs> <laughs> people. Or Tonk Fa. Maybe if that that would seem like a better fit. Does that mean Ray Romano is the other one? <laughs> I had not considered that, but uh, I don't know if that fits exactly, but it would be funny. Yeah. <laughs> Unexpected casting choice. <laughs> yeah, no, like the, these are interesting chapters. I, I really liked seeing the Siri with <sighs> God King. His name, Susabron. And it's like, that's just, I don't know. That one's a bit, that one's, yeah. that one's a bit elantrisy for me. Just like those weird names. So I'll just yeah I'll just refer to him as God King because it's just that's just easier. But yeah no that whole situation was like like good on like Siri at that point when the when she realized they were listening and she's like I need to get them off my back I just thought to myself you could fake it and then she did exactly that I was like yay good yeah, good call good call <laughs> and yeah the God King just didn't respond at all I'm just like right this is really leaning into the whole he's confused and doesn't know what to do and then once again we're just like oh yeah all right that panned out. And yeah, like a more that's, we've already touched on it. It's like just what a tragic life that guy must have. He's basically you know prisoner in a gilded cage, kind of like Siri. Yeah, basically. 
I mean, and then, you know, Vash's chapter really leans on, okay, it looks as though the priests are the real power in the city, so, like, it's, everything's, like, leaning very heavily in that direction. Vash's chapter was, was interesting, terrifying. Yeah, Nightblood. I don't know what to make of him. It's like, is he, like, does he just not have any morality because swords don't have morality? Or, like, was he was he just an amoral person before he came back into the sword or whatever? The, I need to know more about Nightblood. Because it seems as though he's an anomaly in this world anyway, because I don't think anyone else... Like, there's, there doesn't seem to be any other objects that can talk or think. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he's... Uh, I speculated last time that that um, he's a person who somehow got imbued into... like Or too much breath or something got imbued into a sword, but like, all right, I need that answered because it's really driving me up the wall. The mercenaries... I really don't trust these guys now. It's like, and I'll go into it more later, but like, as soon as they they mentioned, oh, we know Vasher. I'm like, really? The most deadly guy with the most deadly sword in like, the kingdom, and you supposedly lowly mercenaries like know exactly who he is, and you plan to fight him before? I'm like, okay, there's more to you guys than we thought. I don't like mm-hmm. you. Okay, interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they definitely uh, don't seem to have fond memories of Vasher, and we're not entirely clear on what Vasher's purpose is, but he's yeah. one of our, our perspective characters. We haven't gotten, like, a bad guy perspective character all that often. No, we haven't. Was it Hraithen and Elantris? Like, well, so and yeah, did, that's the one that leaps the, out did, to me. But he did the turn at the end. and Exactly, yeah. We, we, we debated, that doesn't really make him a good guy, but, but you know, he like, points for trying. Well, yeah, yeah. didn't it, we get a perspective from Telson or no? Uh, we got like a brief one from Telson, I think. Now that you mentioned it, I'd kind of forgotten about that. Well, we got a, we got a brief one from Straff Venture. Oh, that's true. Yeah, when he like and and almost a couple dies. From Zane as well. Yeah, because we heard yeah we heard God talking to Zane quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. So no, yeah, we've gotten some some, but not like main character heavy. Raithen was the most, and then that didn't quite turn into full bad guy territory. So yeah. Okay. Well, that's yeah. I guess we'll we'll have to see. That's an interesting, interesting thought. That it's like you know they they're against Vasher. Maybe we're gonna like Vasher. Maybe we're not gonna like Vasher. So maybe they're not as nice as we think. Although once they're as they are repeatedly mentioning, they're just mercenaries. So they could be hired today to fight for somebody we hate, and tomorrow to fight for somebody we like, and they might just go for it. Mm. Yeah, these chapters were good. There were some things that I liked, some things that I didn't like as much. The Vivenna stuff, she, I, I get it. She's like, she's from this perspective that's so, everything's so alien to her. And she's like being basically forced to do all these things that are going directly against her religion and it's making her uncomfortable. But I'm kind mm-hmm. of getting annoyed with her. It's like, okay, <laughs> you're here to do all this stuff. Like, yeah, maybe you don't need to listen to them 100%. Like, these mercenaries that you just met totally understand where you're coming from. But, like, you also have to accept that you don't know most, like, much of anything, especially because as much as she said she prepared, she herself in this section, it's like, I was completely unprepared. Yeah. She's not nearly as prepared as she thought she was. No, no. All the serious stuff is interesting and and is sad, as we've kind of already touched on. I did not expect her to to fake having sex, so that was that was fun, uh, kind of interesting. And then, yeah, the stuff with with uh, Susbron, that's uh, that's sad. But uh, yeah, we did kind of predict that. Obviously, they've kept kept him stunted for a reason. I didn't, even though I thought maybe 
that he wasn't fully educated or his learning was stunted. I did not expect the figurehead take on it. Like he's just a figurehead and the priests actually run the country. That was surprising to me. And so I wonder if there's, you know, in a lot of a lot of fiction tropes or tropes in general with this kind of power structure, it's like there it isn't actually just like the priesthood that's in charge. I wonder if there's like a one person who's in charge secretly. Mm. You know, you, you see that a lot. I feel like it's like it actually all comes down to one person. It's not just like an organ an organization. There's one person that's actually in charge. And so yeah, then we get we get more Vivenna stuff. And yeah, I'm I'm with Dak. I, I don't think that the sword was a person. I, I think it was somehow imbued with breath that gave it, uh, unlike the other inanimate objects, it gave it some kind of sentience. But yeah, I really want to know more about it. For example, the sword, or I guess we don't know this because we, we're not seeing inside other people's heads, but the sword's directly talking to Vasher in his mind. So I wonder if the connection it's like so deep that that Vasher somehow imbued it with sentience or it may not be. Maybe it's maybe it's, he could really talk to anybody if he's close enough. Maybe he's actually the one like pulling people in. Like we see that guy pick up the sword because he's drawn into it. Maybe mm-hmm. there's it, it speak. Maybe the Nightblood is speaking to them in their minds and they just don't know that's what it is because they're not used to it. But yeah, I definitely want to know more. Interested to know why there's a sublevel in this god palace. And so that's where we ended. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to find out more. Uh, you did say there was some action. This still wasn't, I feel like, enough. I feel like we really <laughs> haven't seen Vasher cut loose at all. Even the stuff he did in this chapter was just kind of like, he's he's got a goal. He's getting to the sub palace. So I'm ready for more. But, um, but yeah, no, overall, uh, good stuff. Yeah, he's trying pretty intentionally here not to kill people. So it definitely doesn't seem like he's cutting loose. Uh, the sword would really like him to cut loose a little bit more. I feel like that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for Nightblood to cut loose. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> that could be some action. That would be, I mean, terrifying, but we've only kind of seen it peripherally. It's true. It, Just, would, be, it, it would be pretty terrifying, I reckon. Just imagine some final battle. Like, you know, all these people going to war in the middle and all of a sudden, right in the middle, this sword just pops fully out of the sheath. Everything starts going black. There's this miasma and, like, tendrils of fog and smoke start spreading out. You just hear the night blood just go, finally. And then everyone <laughs> starts screaming. And that'll be where Data cuts off the chapters for the week and then we have to wait. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> okay. I guess uh, let's get into... Oh, actually, before we get into this, I wanted to point out one thing that I don't know if you guys remember, from the last book that we read. So uh, when we uh, Marisai visits the hideout, basically, Moonlight takes her to their hideout, and they, they're getting the guns and the vials of whatever, the, the jars of stuff, and there's this uh, locked, like a safe in the, in the corner. And... The lock to the, on the door was an identity lock, which they, is what they told Marisai. And so Moonlight walks up and says a word to the lock, and it opens. And Maris is like, oh, is this another identity lock? And Moonlight says, no, this is even more secure. It's a lock that is awake, capital A, and can tell from your intent if you've been given the passcode or if you've stolen it. Ooh. And she's like, a lock that's that. awake? What the heck does that mean? Mm. So as, as we're getting Didn't more information that. on awakening, mm, I thought yeah. I'd point back to that. I see. So you're just handing us the keys to the kingdom now, are you? <laughs> I thought um, 
I thought they they weren't into the people on Nalthus because in the the epilogue they talk about how no, those idiots on Nalthus think they can get off the planet or whatever or something. They, they were very uh, dismissive of the Nalthians. Yeah, it was it was in that same section actually. Is um, what what they say is the perpendicularities were never good for mass transport or commerce, no matter how hard those fools on Nalthus try. So they can the, still like their uh, magic system without thinking they've got any cred. Yeah, it, it sounds like the Nalthians are trying to, uh, you know, run interstellar commerce, and they're like, yeah, it's not really useful. For you. The perpendicularities aren't good for that. But anyway, so yes, one one little piece I wanted to point back to before we move on, just as we're in the Vasher chapter, I feel like we get some interesting new details on Awakening, so I thought that would be a good time to point at that. We come in chapter 17, Vivenna has left the Court of the Gods, and she's kind of concerned about the stuff that she heard there. But not as concerned as she becomes when she gets back to Lemex's house and the front door is like broken. And it's like, oh, no, was there, was there an attack? And then it's like, oh, no. And they get inside and like everything is broken. Furniture's ripped apart. Holes in the walls. Pictures are slashed and broken. Several of the steps have been broken. And Dent's like, I mean, we said we were going to search the house. We figured we might as well do a good job. And they found a bunch of stuff. Uh, papers, money, a bunch of money. Five thousand what, what do they call this? Marks. I don't know. You know, we have no idea how much anything costs in marks at this point. But 5,000 of anything is yeah. usually a lot. Mail it to the Marx brothers. <laughs> that's a sorry. That's a different thing. I mean, yeah. 5,000 cents isn't really a lot. Yeah, OK, that's fair. She's like, did you gotta have to break so much stuff? It's like, yeah, you'd be surprised where people hide things inside the front door. And I like Dent's point where he's like, well, would you look there? It's like, no, of course not. Exactly. So it's a good hiding place then, isn't it? Yeah. Quit crapping on our hiding places. And he's like, you know, we banged on it. We thought we heard a hollow space, so we had to check it out. Turned out that it was just a piece of different wood, but, you know. And she's kind of shocked. They found these 5,000 marks, and they gave them to her. They didn't, like, take this big bag of money and run off. And Denth is like, well, we did take some of it. We took 10 bits for lunch. Should be here any minute. I like how apparently there's just there's kids who wander the streets, like, yelling out that they'll run to a restaurant and get you food for money. That's uh, when you don't have phone calls for deliveries. That's what you get. Yeah, it's a good system. I mean, we saw it in Christmas Carol. He's like, boy, go get me the biggest goose. Oh, that's true. I mean, I just assumed that some kids sitting around not doing anything. He's like, hey, you, I'll give you some money if you do something. And they're like, heck, yeah. All right. Not not as uh, as organized as this seems to be. And so she reads through the papers and she's uh, not super happy with what she finds. She finds these letters from her father, which not only confirming that he sent the money specifically to buy the breaths. So it's like he's going against their religion. But also her dad admits to his friend, the spy, that he is not going to send Vivenna because she's his favorite and he can't he couldn't like stand sending her. And so uh, it's like the exact opposite of what he said after he sent Siri. So she's very unhappy about this. Like to have suspected it and then been told one thing and then to be like, no, no, actually, like, I really can't lose her. That's the guilt that she must be feeling is awful. Yeah, it's true. And more determined than ever to rescue her sister after that. So very disappointed in her dad on multiple levels here. And uh, this is the one part of the annotations I think I'm going to bring out this week where it's just like, do you think that King Dedalin did wrong here most not about her but about the breaths and brandon's like well, i mean i don't know i'm not here to give answers to that but uh you know getting lemmix into the court of the gods was very important without access you had to rely on paying people to take notes 
So it's uh, much better to get your actual spy in there. And the easiest and least noticeable way to do that is to get him a bunch of breaths. And he says, I don't expect the readers to be shocked by what he did. The tone of the book presents awakening as far less inherently evil than Vivenna sees it. Uh, I'm afraid that's a bias I can't stamp out since I myself see the power as being something other than evil. Neutral, really, as most of my magic systems are. But I do think it's important to hold to your own personal code. So in from Vivenna's perspective, she's rightly shocked by what her father did. But then maybe that's a sign that she wouldn't have made as good a queen as she and her father assumed she would have. Because she's willing to sacrifice herself, but she's not willing to do these kind of things that uh, maybe go against her personal code for the better, for the best of her, her country, basically. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think I would probably agree with that. She's very biased into how she is um, perceiving everything. So would that have cloud and everything that she's done? Like, at least the king, while he might have his beliefs of what's not good and, and not right or anything like that, he understands that sometimes things have to be done and you might not be comfortable with them. Whereas, I mean, I hope that Vivenna will get to that point, but right now she's definitely not receptive to it at all. That's true. I mean, do you want do you want someone who's like really committed to their system of morality to get to a point where she's like, ah, it's okay to like break my my moral code in some situations? Is that a good thing, or is I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a, it's a really hard it's a, it's a moral dilemma, really, isn't it? Like, at what hmm. point does where's your line, and at what point do you cross it? Like, what constitutes you finding it acceptable to cross? your line and it's not only your beliefs it's the beliefs of your people as well yeah i don't know that's a really hard question yeah yeah it's true it's fair the place i always go back to for moral dilemmas like that is actually the end of dragon ball abridged where it's um gohan <laughs> versus cell and gohan's like no i'm not gonna fight you i'm a pacifist and cell's like oh good good for you you can stand proud next to all the bodies of the people who died because you refused to fight I'm like oh all right touche and I think that's a similar thing now. It's like, yeah, yeah, good. Hang on, hang on to your morals right now while your country burns. Yeah, I think Denth kind of makes that same point in these chapters. That's a good point. Out. That's true. Yep. And it's it's a real risk and reward. Like you go, okay, well, if I if I don't fight or if I don't, so if I don't have someone with breaths to get in, like for him, he's going, you've got enough to now get in. Don't don't go overboard. You've got enough to get fifty, which will get you into the court of the gods. Obviously, then Lemex took that a bit further, but like you know, do what you have to do because without this information, we're blind. And then we're all sitting mm. ducks all dead. Like you've got to weigh up the cost to your people, your 50 souls for the good of thousands or yeah, that's it. You're all gone. Like, right. Whereas if it was like your information was where's the best restaurant I might eat while I'm living here. Well, then no, that's not worth 50 breaths to go into the corner. <laughs> so Yeah. I wonder if that's yeah, in the spy reports. <laughs> yeah, again, it's like I I can kind of understand, but but again, it's like, you know, she's really got to decide what's important, I guess, the most to her specifically. I mean, obviously, because it's her choice. But again, you can see it from both perspectives. It's like, what are you willing to sacrifice to protect your country? Are you willing to sacrifice everything you stand for? And so it's not an easy decision to make. And I think the fact that it's not an easy decision for this fictional character to make is I feel like that's good writing. It's not mm. like, no, I'm just going to immediately forsake everything 
It's like that's not realistic. That's not how people approach things realistically. I don't think so. Yeah, I think I think uh, it's it's kind of a good balance of like she's giving in on some things, but there are other things that she's not ready to give in on yet. That's true. We do see her give in on some things in these very chapters. So yeah, yeah. like it's been a day and she's assaulted with it all at once. Like I mm-hmm. can that you know it's going to take some time to come to terms with. Yeah, she really hasn't been here very long. That's true. I wasn't even thinking about that, but it, it has not been very long at all. Okay, okay. Continuing in here. So she goes back downstairs and she's like, okay, so I'm, I've got an idea about what was going on. Basically, everyone is, it, my dad and Lemix were both pretty sure that war is coming. All of this money was sent for n- not really all of that, but there was a good chunk of this 5000 that was sent specifically because Lemix came up with these ideas to sabotage the war effort. And as one of them points out, it's like we can't stop the war, but we can make it a more even fight, basically. So that's what was going to go. That's what he was going to try to do here. And between what's in the letters and what Denth and Tonkva have already been doing for Lemix, Denth is like, I think I can put together kind of the stuff that he was after. And I think that we can make some of this work. This includes maybe connecting with uh, some of Var's rebellious, uh, some of the people who were involved in that uh, rebellion he was trying to start, because they could be useful in undermining things. They were already kind of working towards that. We also find out that the other member of the team is a woman named Jules, and she'll show up eventually. And then uh, they're going to move out, because this place was known to to Lemix's associates, and it's probably not a good idea to stay here. Also, we smashed up everything. Tonkfa ripped the mattress into five pieces. He has a thing about mattresses and Tonkfa's like cheerfully is like and chairs and tables and doors and walls, actually. Oh, and people. Tonkfa has a thing about things. We'll try not to break up the next place so badly. No promises, though. So then we cut to Siri, who's preparing for her next night. Here's Blue Fingers again. And Siri is going over the stuff that she heard from Trellides, the stuff that she got from Light Song. And she's just like, man, I don't a lot of people are trying to push me around. What do I want? I'm not a, seduct- a seductress. I have no idea how to make the God King want me. So, I, and so she at first she's like, you know what? I'm just gonna tell the God King. I'm gonna explain all this to him and be like, you, you suck, and I don't want to do this anymore, and blah blah blah. And then she's kind of like, okay, maybe maybe that's a little immature, and I uh, I should come at this a different way. <laughs> nah, Siri, go for it. It's fine. But what she really wants to know is she's like, Blue Fingers, do they really watch me every night? And Blue Fingers indicates to her that they would never watch i mean the god king is the holiest of their of their deities seeing him nude watching with his wife they wouldn't dare but they aren't above listening which this is where the the annotation i read last time was from where it's like yeah bluefinger says this he doesn't know as much as he thinks he knows because that first night they had like you know the guy under the bed and the guy in the secret uh hiding place or whatever but uh, after after at least a night or so, they determined that she probably wasn't an assassin, so <laughs> they could get by without hiding people to watch. Just imagining like like these guards and stuff hiding under the bed, but they're still under the orders to not look at their gods. So it's like the <laughs> Monty Python, the Holy Grail thing. And it's like, what are you doing? I'm averting my eyes, oh lord! Well, stop it! A, well, stop it! <laughs> but they've got they've got a knife, and they're like they tried like they imagined Siri as an assassin, so they're trying to stab her while blindfolded. <laughs> Siri's looking at him. Well, she goes in there uh, after having this weird conversation with uh, with Blue Fingers, and she's like looking at the God King in the corner, and she's like, you know what? I'm not doing this shit anymore. 
who was this man who could rule gods and bend light with his biochroma? Was he really just spoiled and indolent? So she just kind of stares at him for a while. And then she takes a step forward and it says he tensed. He didn't do anything, but he's like, it, she, it's like he's kind of nervous by me approaching this. What? And so then she goes and she gets on the bed and thinks this is going to be exceptionally embarrassing. And then she starts, you know, making an aud- an auditory performance for the people listening. And she's like, I don't know what sex is supposed to sound like, so I'm just going to take my best shot at it and hopefully it'll be good enough. And she looks over while she's doing this at the God King, who is very confused, clearly, which she finds amusing. And then eventually she's like, OK, I'm done. And she just uh, she goes to bed. <laughs> yeah, I was I was writing notes for this part. I said Siri goes in and pretends to make love for the benefit of the listening priests. The God King is confused and slightly worried expression gives credence to my theory that he's simply underdeveloped. Yeah. Best part is like, uh, I don't know what this is supposed to sound like, so I'm going to give it my best guess. And the priests believe it because they also don't know what it's supposed <laughs> to sound like. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Wait, I don't think these priests are celibate specifically. You know, we don't know. I guess that's well. true. Although I think it's it's mentioned that the gods like uh, have slept with some of their priests. Like, uh, what's her name? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Blush Weaver. Yeah, she's sleeping pres- with all kinds of priests. But I think we they're sleeping with their priests. And I think it's safe to assume the God King has not slept with any of his priests. Probably not. Uh, but so at, at, at the very least, she doesn't have to lie on the floor uncomfortably for most of the night. She gets to go to sleep in the bed right off the bat. So that's a, that we're already improving. And we cut to the next morning. Light Song did not get out of bed. So Light Song has just decided that he's not going to do anything. He's starting to get involved in this politics stuff, and he doesn't like it. He's not getting out of bed. And Laramar has to come in. And it's like, okay, everybody leave. We're going to have to have a discussion. And Light Song's like, I'm sick. You can't get sick, Your Grace. Life Song gave a few weak coughs, to which Larimar just rolled his eyes. Come on, can't you play along just a bit, Scoot? <laughs> and so, yeah, Light Song is just, he's like, look, I'm not going to do anything. Because if I do something, it'll just make stuff worse. And Larimar tries to, you know, have that argument about, like, you know, doing something is better than doing nothing. And Light Song's like, no, no, no. You know me. I'm just going to screw this up. Like, there's no way that I can contribute in a positive way here. And we, uh, we we even get a bit where she's like he's like Blushweaver's worried the Idrian royals are making a play for the throne, and uh, Scoot's like, well, I mean, do you not agree? And Light Song's like, no, I mean they probably are, but I don't think that the queen knows that she's part of anything. I'm worried that Blushweaver is going to crush the child out of fear that she'll be too aggressive and get us into a war when I don't yet know if that's the right thing to do. And Larimar's like, well, I mean, it sounds like you've got a handle on this, but I don't want to be part of it, Scoot. You can't avoid politics. I can if I don't get out of bed. All right. And this is where Larimar reveals. He's like, I know you better than you probably think I do. You have always been one of the best men I have known. And Light Sun's like, wait a second. You knew me? That's why you chose to be my priest. You knew me before I died. And he has all these questions. He wants to know about his life before he returned. And Larimar's like, I can't say anything. I've already said too much. And, uh. He's like, I could command you to speak. And Larimar says, no, you couldn't. It's like the rain. You say you want to command the weather to change, but you don't believe it deep down. It doesn't obey, and neither would I. And the light song's like, yeah, convenient bit of theology there. Uh, and there, there's one thing I want to actually get into in the uh, the annotations, but it's mentioned. Uh, it's like, yeah, Larimar has been holding on to this little tidbit for a while for just the right moment when light song is being especially intractable. So he could kind of like nudge him into action. And it works. Light Song is like, okay, let me get out of bed. 
And even Light Song's amazed. Like, Lermar didn't actually reveal anything, but I seem to have gotten past my bout of melancholy. Huh. And Light Song asks him for some advice. Like, what should I do about Blushweaver and the Queen? And Lermar's like, no, I, I can't tell you what to do. We look at you to guide us. If I tell you, then it, it would spoil the whole thing. He, he says that all he can say is to do your best. And Light Song's like, ah, great. He didn't know what his best was. The truth was he'd never bothered to find out. That sounds like maybe we've uh, just pushed Light Song into taking some action and doing some character developing, but who knows? You gotta wonder because everyone's told him, right? You you died like honorably. You were brave, you know, all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Then you've come back as a god. How do you live up to that? Especially a title like being brave. Yep. And so it doesn't like I imagine it would make you question absolutely everything that you do you obviously don't know anything and now he's just got that little word of hope from someone who knew him before maybe someone who is trying to you know give him this pep talk realizes that he was actually brave it's like it's it's just got to be really hard it's like how can I ever live up to being this brave person when I don't know what I did I don't know what I can do yep yeah I just I, I like that this little pep talk happened I mean I hope we get more and I'm sure that we will get more information as the book goes on but you've finally got someone who's like yeah look i do know a bit about you i think that's awesome we'll never find out who light song was it's just uh it's not gonna come up (laughs) i would be very sad but i i think it's also part of the what makes it effective is that scoot is a guy that he trusts i don't know that there's that many people he would trust but Mm. this is somebody that he's when scoot says that he actually believes it yeah absolutely a proper confidant that's the end of chapter 18. We're going to go into 19. Back to Denth and the crew. He's like, yeah, the, the, the new house. This is nice. Strong wood paddling. We'll break very cleanly. And Tonkfa's looking in the in the closet. Oh, yeah. Like, we could fit a half dozen bodies in here in this closet. Easy. A lot of storage. And then they, they just chuckle to themselves. And then it's like, these, these are some weird dudes. Like, this mercenary humor. <laughs> I kind of love it. But for her, I can see how it would be kind of bizarre. They got a house in a pretty nice neighborhood because uh, she didn't want to be in the crappy neighborhoods, which, you know, I don't blame her. But she's like, this is a modest house by uh, to Talir standards, but it's bigger than the king's palace back home. So and we find out a little bit about Var, who we met briefly at the beginning. He was a worker in the dye fields. The dye fields kind of suck. Long hours, little more than food for pay. And about five years ago, he got this idea that if he convinced all the other workers to give him their breath, he might be able to start a revolt against the overseers and become – and it, it started to work. He became a hero and got enough attention that the court of the gods was like, OK, we need to do something about this guy. And they did. They caught him good. But they point out, Denth and Tonkfa, that's like – well, I mean contacting some of these same people, even though the, re- the revolt was not successful, if we kind of start – some stuff going on in the dye fields that's gonna that's one of their primary sources of income we we already know that from earlier that the Holandron economy they trade in dyes and textiles so that could uh, you know throwing their economy out of whack could be very helpful to the other side of the war they're also going to try to get into where the lifeless are stored and like we can't kill them but we can kind of mess with them and like muck up how things work a little bit and Vivenna's is like, well, that sounds dangerous. And Denth's like, aha, hazard pay, Tonkfa. We may not be, able, we may not steal your money, but we have nothing against overcharging you for extremely dangerous stunts. That's that's some good morals there. <laughs> it's like we won't steal from you, 
But, uh, you know, we, we might price gouge you a little bit for our amazing services. No one likes a smart ass. <laughs> also, we're going to mess with the food supplies because the lifeless don't eat, but the humans who support the army do. And Vivin is like, oh, yeah, yeah that, that sounds good. How are we going to do that? Uh, well, you know, we'll burn some merchant caravans, cause make it look like bandits, cause a bunch of trouble. Apparently, the priests run a lot of the trade in the city. They have all the money, so they tend to own the supplies. So burning the stuff will make it harder for them to want to go to war. So that kind of contributes to somebody's thought that maybe the priests are uh, even more of a power in the city than just being the priesthood for the for the gods. Uh, they apparently kind of control the economy on some level. So not only are they the the religious class, but they're like the rich people, too. Isn't that a weird coincidence how that works out? And then Vivenna's like, OK, all your plans sound kind of violent. And Ted's like, yeah, OK, we got to go through this. You hire us to do things like undermine a, com- a country's ability to wage war and then complain that we're too violent. Maybe we should just buy puppies for all of your enemies and send them with nice apologetic notes asking them to stop being so mean. <laughs> he's He's got a good point. He's got a good point, but he didn't have to be like that about it. And then Tonkfa. And then when they don't stop, we could kill the puppies. OK, that's that's, that's almost a little over the line with the mercenary humor. That's, uh, that's Yeah, kind of come on. Come on, Tonkfa. Stop talking about killing puppies. <laughs> John Wick has entered the chat. <laughs> and Denth is like, Princess, these people want to attack your homeland. You are the greatest threat to their power. And now they're going to get a kid from your sister who will be of the royal bloodline. It is in their best interest to kill everybody else of the royal bloodline after that. So that they have the only remaining claim. Also good points. Then it's like, OK, I mean, yeah, all right. And here's when... A lifeless soldier shows up, his gray skin, gray eyes, no color at all. And Vivenna's like, Denth, attack! Tonkfa barely cracked an eye open. Ah, well, Denth said, looks like we've been discovered by the City Watch. Pity, Tonkfa said. This was looking like it'd be a fun job. Nothing but execution for us now. <laughs> Just very deadpan. I like it a lot. And it's like, oh, this is a joke. I get it. Did you, like, paint him gray or something? But no, it turns out this is an actual lifeless and here comes Jules, who uh, kind of runs, he controls the lifeless for their crew. Mm. Yeah, imagine you're a, you're somebody whose like religion is against zombies, and a zombie walks through, and you're like, oh, that's basically a demon. That's how that's their experience right now. Yep. Uh, really, honestly, a good thing that Jules and uh, Claude, I think is his name, were not around when Vivenna first met them at lemix's house because she might have just been like nah we're, we're done i'm not doing this she's that had already to have been by design oh you think so like they approached her like lemix lemix knew all about it he like he would have told them what to expect he lemix 100 would have, like would have said to them or they would have figured out if you show up with a lifeless uh to when you first go in to try and communicate with the princess whose entire country hates lifeless mm. it's not gonna work yeah, yeah, anybody with half a brain would probably pick that pick up on that. That's a fair point. Yeah. But what uh what Jules brings is uh Denth, he's here in the city. And Denth doesn't even need to ask who. It's like I owe that man a sword through the gut. And the woman's like, "He killed Arsteel. What makes you think you can beat him?" And Denth is like, "I've always been a better the better swordsman." And she's like, "Well, Arsteel was good too, and now he's dead. Who's the woman? New employer. Hope she lives longer than the last one." Jules just does not give a shit about Vivenna very clearly in this scene. 
And so they have to they have to, you know, make introductions. This is Jules. This is Claude. She's like, where did that creature come from? And Claude made him from a dead body, obviously. I mean, I didn't do it myself. I paid somebody else to do it. But and Dent is like, yeah, it's useful to have a lifeless around. We've had this guy for a few months now. And she's like, you did not tell me about this. And Dent is like, I don't know. The topic didn't come up. You know, they're pretty common around here. They're they're just tools. They're like swords. We're not, we're not going to destroy all of the lifeless in the city, just the ones being used by your enemies. Speaking of swords, Jules has brought several swords. Uh, because apparently they were armed, but not with swords, because swords kind of stand out. As we've already learned, like Vasher is one of the only guys walking around with a sword in the city. So up till now, Tonkfa has been using a club, essentially. And Vivenna tries to be like, no, we don't need her. We don't need that lifeless. And Dent is like, yes, we do. You've brought a lot of biases into this city, princess. It's not my place to tell you what to do with them. I'm just your employee, but I will tell you, you don't know half the things that you think you do. <laughs> Damn, man. They're really landed on Front Street. I mean, it's not like he's wrong. We, we established that's already that she does not know most of the stuff she thinks she knows. And he's just like, okay, fine. You don't want Jules around? She's part of the crew. She's gone. We're all gone. We'll give you your money back. You can hire somebody else. And she's like, I thought you were my employee. And he's like, well, yeah, but I can quit whenever I want. So and then he, he takes another tack where he's like, look, if you keep us around, it'll give you a chance to give us your view on things like lifeless and biochroma. Maybe you'll bring us around your way of thinking, because if you reject us because of our sins, aren't you being ostentatious? And don't the five <laughs> visions have something to say about that? She's like, damn it, this guy knows my religion. And again, like, I think she even makes a point of it. It's like, why does he care? Just because the job needs to be finished and they didn't finish? I, I, I don't know. I feel like there's more at stake here for him. Yeah, that's the only explanation we get is I just don't like leaving things unfinished. Bullshit. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, I have something else I want to talk to you about. You've got all these breaths. I know you don't agree with how they were obtained, but you could use them to help us. We could use an awakener backing, backing us up if you just learn to use your breaths. And she's like, no, 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 no. I'm, I've, I've made some some allowances up till now. I am not going to awaken things. He's like, all right, you're the boss, just your kingdom. If we fail, the only thing I lose is an employer. Jules, on the other hand, is still concerned about Vasher. I don't like that he got here first, and reports say he has a bunch of breaths, fourth heightening at least, maybe fifth. I bet he got them from that rebel Var. Which is really good guess, Jules. How do you even know that it's him, Den says, and she's like, words all over, people being found slaughtered in alleyways, the wounds corrupted and black, sightings of a powerful new awakener with a black-handled sword in a silver sheath. It's Tax, all right. Goes by a different name now, and Dent's like, yeah, Vasher, he's used it for a while. It's a joke on his part. We're not let in on the joke, apparently. The joke is it's a dumb name, just like Tax. Actually, <laughs> Vasher's not bad, but yeah, Tax is dumb. Yeah, Vasher's Vash, Vash a great name. Tax. Tonkfa is like, who is this we're talking about? And Tonkfa is like, oh, yeah, he's bad trouble. Tax tends to leave a lot of bodies in his wake. Has strange motivations. Doesn't think like other people. Jules is like, he's interested in the war for some reason, Dent. And Dent's like, good, let him be. That'll just bring him across my path all the sooner. Tonkfa says that Tax or Vasher, whatever, he killed a good friend of ours over in Yarn Dread a couple months back. Dent used to have four people on his team. And Jules says, it shouldn't have happened. Arsteel was a brilliant duelist, almost as good as Denth. Vasher's never been able to beat either of them. Tonkfa's like, hey, he used that freaky sword of his. And Jules says, eh, there was no blackness in the wounds. Tonkfa's like, he, then he cut it out. He's just, he couldn't have beat Arsteel in a fair duel. It's not happening. So we know that uh, 
Vasher's recently beaten a, a, a duelist who way more skilled than him, and uh, we don't know how. So another mystery to add to the pile of surrounding yeah, According to Dent, anyway. I mean, we don't really know that that's the case. That's a fair point. And Vivenna's like, oh, yeah, I saw that guy yesterday. He was, like, watching me for some reason. And they're like, ah, crap. Dent, he's been tailing your princess here. Dent's like, ah, colors, 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 colors. There are no coincidences where this man is concerned, Princess. If he's watching you, you can bet on the colors that he knows exactly who you are and where you came from, and he's probably planning to kill you. And then Tonk Fa has a line I love where he's like, oh, don't worry, Vivenna. He wants to kill us, too. At least you're in good company. Oh, thank you so much. That puts my mind at ease that we're all <laughs> now. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, I'm, I'm, I feel much better now. Thank you, Tonk Fa. Uh, we cut back to Siri, and for the first time, she's not worried. She's smiling to herself. Things are going okay. Haven't had to lie on the floor in days. She quite literally faked it till she made it. <laughs> no joke. <laughs> oh, poor Siri. And apparently word has gotten around the palace that uh, things are going okay now. Yeah, people are banging. It's fine. Everything's fine. She should, she should really be more upset that people are like gossiping about her sex life. But whatever. You know, she's the queen. What can you do? Yeah, I hear she moans real loud. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Bluefingers is like, she's like, I'm out of danger now, right? The priests are stop worrying, are, are going to stop worrying about having an heir. And Bluefingers is like, doing your duty as the vessel was the danger I was trying to warn you about. But he will not be any more specific than that. He's just like, you must not bear him a child. It is a danger to both yourself and the God King. Everything here is not what it appears to be. And she's like, everyone is saying that shit, but no one is giving me anything more specific. So you need to actually tell me something or quit, basically. And he's like, look, I'm putting my life in danger by saying as much as I've said. Just avoid giving the God King a child. If you want to know more than that, read your histories. Honestly, I would think you'd have come to all of this a little more prepared. Which that's true. She probably should have. And then he tells her that he's not going to be here anymore. She's figured out the, the, the whole going in and waiting for the God King on her own. So, uh, yeah, doesn't need her anymore. You do your thing. And so then she goes, she's, she's, uh, she's going to go do her thing again. And all of a sudden she looks up and there's the God King standing over her and she screams and he, he, he like pulls back a little bit like, wait, wait, what? And she thinks, oh my God, it's finally happening. He's coming for me. But no, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. You just, you just startled me. He actually, like, she's like, he actually seems kind of threatened by me. Uh, and he starts to pull up his shirt and oh, that's when she's like, oh no, it's happening. But no, he pulls a book out. And he puts it on the bed and he kind of points at it. And it says the title says it's a book of stories for children. And she's like, you, you want me to read this to you? And he nods and she's like, it says stories for children. And he's like, yeah. And so he, he he's trying to indicate to her that he wants her to read in the book. He's like, I like turtles, except he doesn't say that because he can't. And she's like, why don't you just tell me? Why are you doing this weird like pantomime shit in the dark in the middle of the night? And it's, it's, he cocks his head and then opens his mouth and she sees that he has no tongue. There's a scar. Someone has removed either accidentally or on purpose removed his tongue. Why would someone remove the tongue <laughs> of the king himself? Why? Why did she think it could be an accident? You know, those accidents where you get your tongue ripped out. It happens all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Happens to me almost a on a weekly basis. <laughs> In the breaking news today, in the middle of winter, the God King has suffered a terrible incident involving a <laughs> lamppost. <laughs> well, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was covered in ice, and I thought maybe 
it would be fun to put my tongue on it, but now I don't know. It's not as fun as I thought. <laughs> he was watching a, a Christmas story or whatever, and it just looked great. No, I mean, if he was watching a Christmas story, he would have known not to do that. Well, he didn't watch the whole thing. He's a busy man, the God King. <laughs> yeah, so as soon as that scene came out, he's like, wait, that can happen? I want that to be me. Yeah. And she immediately comes to the conclusion that it has been done intentionally to prevent him from using all of this breath that he's been giving. Because to awaken things, you have to give a spoken command. Clearly, crisply, no slurring or mumbling, or you can't awaken things. So if he can't talk, he can't. Apparently, sign language does not work for awakening. You got you to gotta say this stuff. And the thought that they've done this intentionally disturbs her so much that she gets a look on his face and he's kind of like upset. It's like he looks suddenly ashamed. And she's like, no, no, it's not. It's not because of it's I, I was realizing why this was done to you. And that made me upset. I'm not. And she also realizes when he's trying to get her to read him the book, that it's like, you can't read, can you? And he shakes his head. He's like, this is the thing that blue fingers are scared of. You're not a king. You're a puppet, a figurehead that they parade around with your crazy strong biochromatic aura to impress everybody. But they took your tongue so you can't use it and never taught you to read so that you can't communicate with anyone else just so they could control you. No wonder blue fingers is so scared. If they would do that to their own God, then the rest of us, like what would they do to us? And then she says, she's like points out the, the first letter of the first word and says, this is the letter shosh. I can teach them all to you if you wish. And then the chapter ends, the priests were right to be worried. So go Siri. Uh, that was chapter 20. We get one more. We get Vasher, who's on top of the palace of the God King, watching the sunset. And Nightblood says, dramatic. Vasher's like, the sunset? You can't even see it. But I can feel you seeing it crimson, like blood in the air. But yeah, that's a little bit disturbing. So the sword it's can't... Like, uh, way to make a cool moment creepy, bro. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Just gotta calm down. Like, he's... he's... <laughs> This sword is insane. <laughs> you need to chill out a little bit, sword, bro. Yeah, Just, yeah it like, actually turns out <laughs> that like Ruin got reincarnated as Nightblood, and he's just like, kill, <laughs> kill, kill. It's about right. <laughs> After he just murdered everything, this was the best day ever. <laughs> <laughs> so the sword can't see, but it's w- with its powerful twisted biochroma, it can sense life and people. And both were things that Nightblood had been created to protect. It was strange how easily and quickly protection could turn to destruction. So he can can't see, but he can sense things around him. It's the Daredevil sword. Yeah. Okay. Put a little <laughs> put a little mask on him. I'll, I'll go with it. This <sighs> is <laughs> the disappointed sigh from Joe. Yeah. Daredevil sword. No, it's just me just being <laughs> disappointed at the Daredevil sword. <laughs> We get some more awakening from Vasher. He awakens his pants and says, strengthen me. Yeah. No, nah, you know what? I'm not going to make that joke. It's too easy. So that joke, I think I think we, we all thought it. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Good. I'm glad I yeah. wasn't the only one. <laughs> um, okay. So Vasher uh, puts a hand on the shoulder of his shirt and says, upon call, become my fingers and grip. And so his shirt has like tassels at the end that curl up to be like fingers. It was a difficult command and it required far more breath to awaken than he would have liked. It had taken a lot of practice to perfect, but the finger tassels were worth it. They had proven very useful and he was loath to engage in the night's activities without them. 
So I said there's only one, but there's actually one more bit that I want to bring out from the annotations where Brandon mentions that in the original way that he wrote the book, in with Awakening, the command, the more complex the command was, the more words it took, basically. You had to be have a very long, intricate series of commands to get something complex accomplished. But it ended up feeling just really bulky. And also, if you're trying to use Awakening in battle, having to spout off several paragraphs real quick, probably difficult. So he revised it so that it's more about your focus and what you can visualize wanting the command to do. And the words are still important, but the real trick is to get the right mental picture. And so a command like grab things, or if you go back to the beginning of the book, a command like get keys or whatever he told the straw man to do are actually very complicated commands that come across very simply, but that are, are like difficult to use and master. Hmm. And so, yes, as he's been awakening things, you know, it, you have to remove color from something we established uh, before. He's on top of the, the God King's black palace, and uh, he's left a couple of big gray areas on the stone from where he's used the black color to awaken. And he's like, he smiles, thinking of how pissed off the priests will be when they find this. That's, that, that is kind of rude to do to the God King's palace. Colorless floor? Who's been screwing with this thing? Uh, I mean, it sounds like the king's not really going to care. It's more to anger the priests. Yeah. I mean, Vash just seems like he hates the priests most of all, so. <laughs> and so he, he, like, stands up and just jumps off. But, like, the awakened clothing, his pants and stuff, it helps absorb the impact of, like, long jumps and things. So, And he starts to try to sneak. And Nightblood's like, sneaking, Vasher, you're terrible at sneaking. You should attack. You're good at that. You just want to prove how strong you are, Vasher thought. And then the sword's like, well, yeah. I mean, but you have to admit, you're bad at sneaking. Just saying. Putting it out there. And then Nightblood's even like, are you sure about this information? Because really, I don't trust uh, I don't trust priests. And Vasher says that he didn't get his information from a priest. I guess that makes it better. <laughs> but he's, he's warned to stay away from the palaces of influential gods like Blushweaver and Stillmark. But if you go like for lesser gods like Gift Beacon or Peace Yearning... Uh, you, you won't get what you want. So he's chosen Mercy Star, a return known for involvement in politics, but not all that influential. And there's guards outside, but they're not armed guards because no one's going to attack one of the gods' homes in the middle of the, the court of the gods where people have trouble getting in the first place. And so Vasher decides to uh, – he's going to do a bit, kind of like Loki and Thor have bits and Wax and Wayne have bits. He's going to do the crazy bit. And Nightblood's like, oh, the crazy disguise. Come on, you're cleverer than that. And I like Vasher's thought, it'll work. The court of this is the court of the gods. Nothing attracts the unbalanced more than the prospect of meeting deities, which you know I, I'm not going to doubt that. And so he just pretends to be a crazy guy talking to himself, walking up to the the palace. And one of the guards is like, hey, how'd, how'd you get in here? Come on, let's get you to the gate. See if there's a shelter still taking people for the night. And, and he hesitates because he didn't expect kindness from these guys. And it makes him feel kind of guilty for what he's going to have to do, because then he beats the guy up. He really like the tassels on his sleeve mimic his fingers and form a fist and grab the guard by the neck and start choking him out. <laughs> I, I just like the thought of him being like, oh, I feel bad, but not that bad. So yeah, I'm, I'm gonna still going to do it. Yeah, I'm not going to not choke you out. But <laughs> And then the other guy, before he can even react, Vasher pulls Nightblood not out of the sheath but just out from under his cloak and bashes the guy in the stomach with it, knocks him down and then steps on his neck. And he just chokes them both out that way. 
And Nightblood's like, you didn't use me much. You could have used me. I'm better than a shirt. I'm a sword. I would have killed them. Look, they're still breathing. Stupid shirt. <laughs> I love stupid shirt. It's one of my favorite lines. Nightblood is crazy. Fasher's like, no, no, we don't want to kill them. Corpses cause more trouble than men who get knocked out. I could knock people out. Yeah, he's so he's so annoyed. He's just like, come on. <laughs> and then as Vasher walks into the palace, he starts pulling the rope from his waist that he uses as a belt. And Nightblood's like, belts are stupid, too. And then here come four servants. <laughs> What's he going to get belts? He wants Vasher to use him, not belts and and uh, shirts. Yeah, but I don't know. Just the petulant way he said it. Yeah, because that, that's what you really want in your, like, crazy powerful murder sword is that he's also, like, <laughs> very petulant and kind of immature, right? Yeah. I mean, that's probably I why he's a crazy murder sword. Mm. Yeah. Why didn't you use me? I like to be used. You killed you killed people last time. I want to kill people again. <laughs> uh, I, I'd do it better. So much better. Come on. But I, I do like the picture of, like, as these servants walk around the corner, Vasher awakens the rope and says hold things and just throws it and the rope starts wrapping a dude up i i I really i think that that could look really cool in like a visual medium like they made a movie of this what i was thinking is like oh so that's the level control you have if someone with awakening power got a hold of a mist cloak like they could go full dr octopus with that thing oh it's true yeah i like that idea yeah yeah that's the kind of interstellar commerce we really need to see (laughs) <laughs> yep, Mistborn cloaks and awakening. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm I'm for it. Like people are are attacking you from all sides, and your cloak's just like not nah, block, block, block. Yep, choke out. But Vasher whips Nightblood out, and the sword's like yes. And then um, he just throws the sword at them. Two of them take two of the servants take off running. One of them is transfixed by the sword, and so he has to first he has to take care of the guy who's got the rope, make sure the rope gets him good. And then he has to knock down the guy who's going after Nightblood. The guy's starting to open Nightblood. Fluid like smoke begins to stream out. Tendrils snaking up his arm, drawing the color from his skin. It's very disturbing. But before this, before anything too bad can happen, Vasher knocks the guy out and puts the sword away. You didn't let me kill him, Nightblood said annoyed. And two ran away from me. That's not right. And Vasher's like, you cannot tempt the hearts of men who are pure, Nightblood. So there's an interesting little uh. He's the opposite of Kintone, or Flying Nimbus, as people in in, uh, in English. Oh, yeah, interesting parallel. That's true. And uh, as uh, as more people are coming, Nightblood's just like, I told you you're not sneaky. And Vash's like, shut up. And then he pulls out of a pouch a dead squirrel, which Nightblood says, yuck, and I agree with him. But we get to see the creation of a lifeless. Not like a human lifeless, but a squirrel lifeless. Awaken to my breath, serve my needs, live at my command and my word. Fallen rope. So basically, when you awaken them, you imprint them with this command phrase. And that command phrase allows you to give them orders, but not leaves, does not leave them open to take orders from everybody who doesn't know the command phrase. So it's very useful. I feel like this is a sort of thing. I always felt that zombie movies don't quite like... There's 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 a whole level of things that don't quite tap into because I always go with human zombies, but I think an animal zombie would be way more terrifying, even if it's like a zombie squirrel because you don't see that thing coming. It's true. Um, yeah, it's like uh, that's what Pet Cemetery basically was, right? It's true. Yeah, yeah. Or zombie T Rex, you know. 
Zombie T-Rex, yeah. It's like, there, there's so much you could do with that concept, and that would just be fucking scary. Like, can you imagine, like, a, 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 you know, a zombie skunk? <laughs> oh, that's unpleasant, yeah. Yeah. That could be really horrific. Yeah. But it takes exactly one breath to awaken this thing, but we find out that you cannot get that breath back. Creating a lifeless is a permanent act. And the color for that awakening comes from the body itself that is being awakened. That's why human lifeless that we've seen are all gray. And squirrel also becomes gray. But Vasher says that that's really similar to what squirrel already looked like. That's why he likes to use them. (laughs) It's a gray squirrel, so it looks real. I mean, it makes sense. Like, people aren't going to immediately associate it as lifeless. So they may not be looking for somebody who's commanding a lifeless. They're just like, how did that squirrel get in here? So the orders that Vasher gives the squirrel are make noise, run around, bite people who are not me, which is a good specification that uh, you're like, maybe he forgot to say that the first time. <laughs> Could you imagine he's a bite people and he's like, not me. Ow. <laughs> you know, that's happened in the past. Yeah, I feel like it must have. Right. So he sends it off to distract all the, the servants and the, and the priests and such. Lifeless could be difficult to stop, particularly a fresh one with orders to bite. I love that he knows this. Um, so yeah, this is what wasn't the most actiony action ever, but I enjoy it. And what he finds, what he was told he would find, is a secret tunnel. Secret tunnel. And uh, that's not supposed to be here. Returns to palaces are only supposed to be one story. And Nightblood says, what if the tunnel doesn't have another way out? And Vasher's like, well, then you'll probably get to kill a lot of people. And we end our, our last chapter here with the priests of the iridescent tones it appeared were hiding things from the rest of the kingdom and from their gods. So that's a that's a nice dramatic moment to end it on. Not that I think we're shocked by the fact that the priests are hiding things at this point, but good to know. And yeah, apparently Vasher has an interest in something that they're hiding, although we still have no idea what he's really after. Jewel says that he's interested in the war somehow, but how that is, who knows? If that's if she even knows what she's talking about, honestly. So predicaments what uh where are we going what is going to happen next uh in in this story oh okay what's gonna happen next in this story hmm i don't know necessarily what we're gonna do with vivena yet i feel like she's got a we're probably still gonna have some planning kind of phase now that jules is back with the crew as well, they've got to they've got to work out a bit of an action plan there. I'm hoping that we see a little bit more with Light Song. He has to go and assess some more paintings. They made a they made a comment about, or he made a comment that he had another dream as well. So mm. we we might get a little bit more into that next time. The stuff with Vash is really interesting. I hope that it I hope that it leads us. I guess back to kind of the the mercenary crew, but I feel like with where he's trying to get into at the moment, we're probably more likely to see him come up against another another god. I wonder if Light Song's death has got something to do with the sword. Mm. With blood. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like that would be pretty brave, fighting against this ungodly <laughs> sword. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe maybe that's got something to do with that. I think that would be really interesting. I feel like Siri and the God King will probably work on their relationship a little bit. She'll teach him sort of what she knows. 
you know, if he really is such a blank slate, it might be interesting that she can teach him some of the ways. But, like, now it's going to be they're going to have to go through this charade and keep it all hidden and she knows people are listening. So how much can you teach the God King about things that he's not supposed to know about while everyone's listening? So I think that'll be interesting to watch that unfold. You 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 talked about at the beginning of the episode the command that was given in um, Lost Metal to awaken the lock, or because it had been awoken. So you can obviously awaken inanimate objects, which we know because you can make your pants strong and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> right. uh, I I think we're still leaning towards perhaps it's it's something well awoken, but can you make an inanimate object like into a lifeless? I wonder if that's kind of what happened to our sword. It's not simply something that's been awoken, but maybe maybe it's like one breath from somebody really powerful is now the sword or something. Like mm. I'm not sure how that would necessarily work to do that but I, I want to learn more about that but I think that would be my my gut feel that this sword has been awoken in some so, sense probably not the same as like a normal object but something maybe a little bit different maybe a so, god's breath oh yeah like if they have the, they have their weird special breath that's a good point that they can give yeah. up to heal something maybe they could yeah okay yeah and another thing I thought would be really interesting is because now you can you can give away a breath permanently one without having to give away all of your breath. What an interesting uh, dilemma Vivenna might have if she was to use all of her breath to create her own lifeless army eventually. That would suck for her because she clearly doesn't like the lifeless, but she could give away all the breath without giving without, away her one. Yeah, without giving her own up. That's true. Mm. I mean, assuming that you could differentiate your original one from any of the others, but she could have one left regardless. Call yeah. it her own. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, that's something that I've been confused about, too. It's like, do, is there a difference between your original breath and all the other breaths? Like, is yours unique to you? It doesn't seem that way, but not that we know of, at least. Yeah, that, that that's an interesting alternate take. Since we, we've had Dax theory for a couple episodes now that somehow like a person's personality got into the sword or something, a remnant of a person. But what if mm. it wasn't that? It's just like it was a sword that got awakened and somehow gained sentience is that is that less or more scary than the other possibility yeah i mean the fact that it has any sentience at all is scary (laughs) yeah i don't know Mm, i don't know where we're going it's exciting there's so many possibilities and thoughts and yeah we'll see we'll see how i fare over time yeah fair enough right i've got quite a big one Today I've actually just typed up a, a whole like thing thing here. Okay, so bear with me as I as I as I spin my my bullshit web here. Um, <laughs> so throughout this book, there's a really uh, heavy-handed theme of like obvious power and not obvious power, and and who really is the most powerful that we're looking at. God King is your best example because he has that super powerful aura all around him. Like he has massive power in the in the literal sense, but not in the political sense, and he's actually just a prisoner kept in a cage. I think the re- like the returned are all the same. They've got a lot of power themselves, but in the grand scheme of things, they're actually powerless. Like the, you know, the populace is told they are powerful, but they're kept in line by the priests, and they believe themselves above the priests, but the priests are running things. So that's that's all stuff we've seen. And then 
as Siri is discovering, you're actually most powerful when you appear powerless. That's what, because the priests are running the show. Vasher is learning that as well. But Siri's learning to exploit that herself. It's like she appears to, like, to the priests, she appears to be powerless, just like she's just there as a vessel to grant them an heir to the God King. And she's learning to exploit that because she's teaching the God King to read and teach him to write. So she's like got actually got a bit of power they don't see and she's teaching the god king to exploit his power because the populace believes in the god king's power and so when he's when he learns to read and write he can actually do things to take the power away from the priest and take it back to himself mm. like their their control will fall away so he will then like start start to use the political power rather than his actual power because he can't use it he doesn't have a t- he doesn't have a tongue he can't talk so that's where so that's where that's going to go like through some subterfuge like uh, the god king is actually i think he's actually probably a fairly smart guy but he just feels powerless so he can't do anything with it and once he learns to read and write and he can issue his own edicts and stuff he will you know he will ta- he will take his power back as he's supposed to i think it's interesting just as a side note that that was vivenna's plan all along but she probably wouldn't have pulled it off but siri because she's the even in idris no one paid attention to her she was just like the you know, the flighty little princess, no one thought she had any skill at all, and she's the yeah. one who's going to pull this off. Like, Nightblood is another example of this. He has, like, unspeakable, horrible power, but he's contained in a sheath and in the shape of a sword. So he's actually powerless unless someone uses him in a certain way, and that's what Ciri's doing with uh, the God the God King. So that's one part okay. of all this. But I think this is... This this is all just another bit of misdirection on Brandon's part. I think we're still pretty early in the book, and the curtain on the priest has it's, it feels like it's been pulled back in a really unsubtle fashion. So I think yeah, it, he's made it very very obvious that they're running the show. So I think there's another layer all down who's actually got the most power in this situation, and I actually think it's the mercenaries. I think it's Denth, Tonkfar, and Jules. Ooh, and the reason for that is like. They are harping on, like, you know, Jules not so much because we've only just met her, but, like, they're harping on so much about how they're just lowly mercenaries, everyone looks down on them, they're the bottom society, and they, they lean on this so hard. Vivenna's not as good as Spycraft and Subterfuge as she likes to think she is. She believes it all at face value, and she doesn't suspect that it might be an act. But there are just a few things happening with these guys that make me think, you're not just simple mercenaries. Like... They know all about the members of the rebellions and the underworld than just a gang of simple mercenaries would. They're pushing her to do things like that she wouldn't otherwise have thought to do. So it makes me think they have an angle on it. I think they're real, like, yeah, they're much more prominent in the hidden worlds than we think. And actually, I think their jokes and stuff about it's like, oh, we could hide so many bodies in this cupboard. Like, that's just them having fun with it and seeing how much outrageous bullshit they can say to Vivenna and get away <laughs> and get away with it because they're trying, they're actually just laughing at like behind their you know they're smiling behind their faces at like I can't believe this is working. But the the turning point where I started to put this all together was the fact that Jules comes in uh, and says, "Guys, Vash is here," and I don't think like their reaction to that was faked. I think they're just like, "Oh fuck, really." Like, they know him, they know him personally, which, again, a group of lowly mercenaries, like, if they were just, like, the the lowly mercenaries that they claim they are, if they'd really run into Vasher and knew him that well, they'd be dead, all of them, not just their buddy. Mm. Because Vasher doesn't seem like the sort of guy... Who's to say they didn't know Vasher earlier? I mean, possibly, but, like, yeah, they, like, they know he's a threat to their plans. Whatever they're using Vivenna for, they know Vasher could fuck it up. 
So, like, you know, we've already assumed that Vasha has some connection to the current state of the world. And so I think if they're so closely tied to him, then they're probably also connected to it. And they they know that he, that yeah, he, he is the ultimate spanner in their plans. I think part of this as well, like we talked about it, they never intended for Vivenna to meet Claude because they knew that would be a hard sell for her. But when Jules finds out that Vasha is in town, she's like, guys, we can't wait. You need to know this right now because we're in trouble. So they had to that she like she had to just take that risk. Um, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I think I think these guys, if like, I don't I don't think they're like the the real big bad of the book, but I think that they are probably his like tr- like whoever the big bad is, they're the most trusted agents of that person, and so they're actually like they're actually trying to spin things for like for like for that to that end, and Vasher is like their biggest problem with it all, and I think that's then going to form the crux of Vivenna and Vasher's relationship. I still think that. Vasher is going to teach Vivenna to use the breath, but he's going to somehow get her away from the mercs and try to guide it. He's going to do it begrudgingly. He doesn't want to, and she's not going to trust him. So the onus is going to be on Vasher to prove to her that these mercs have been playing her from the start, and he's actually the one who's going to help her do what she needs to do. Okay. So if if there's a, a, if there's somebody behind this, whoever it is, these guys are working for them. Okay, I'm, I'm following you. What... What 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 is the plan? What are, what is the big bad trying to accomplish? I I all right. I think it's Bluefingers. Oh, um, okay, all right. I think it's I is it Khan Paul there uh, Pan Call are the Pan Call, yeah, the racer um, yeah. country or whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, like there's just been a couple of little hints about that. I'm just like, oh, is maybe there's an uprising for these people? They're trying to throw off the Halandrans and the Idrians all as one, and then they're going to be the ultimate power. Maybe that's the, like, the end game of all this. This is all just, mm. like, spinning spinning out of out of nowhere. But it's like, again, Bluefingers is, like, the little unassuming guy. Siri seems to trust him, and, like, no one really seems to... Like, he has access to a lot of things. He seems to have a fear for his life, but he's... But I think he's got more power than he lets on as well. So maybe, like, he... Like, yeah, like, in the end, this is all on him. And like these mercs are his trusted agents who are out to help them bring down both Halandrin and make sure the Idrians can't actually take the place back. Okay. I I like this idea that uh, our, our scribe friend is a secret bad guy. We're, it was about time we had a good secret bad guy prediction going on. So Honest, honestly, that was, sure. that was all an afterthought. The main thing is about the mercs for this. Yeah, this right. that's, that's my thing here. We did have the one line of him, of her being like, oh, you, you pan collar just like Halandrin, right? And he's kind of offended by that. So, okay. I, I kind of see that there's a little bit of support there. I like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. following. But yeah. Like, main thing is, like, the mercenaries, they're harping on so much. Like, we're just mercenaries, princess. Don't worry about us. All right. It's an act. You guys are up <laughs> to something else. Oh, but then all, all their jokes are not are not real funny jokes i don't like that <laughs> they actually like killing yeah <laughs> i like stealing i mean talk fast like i like i like cutting off toes <laughs> <laughs> i mean i do but yeah i like uh that that, read, that read, reads real different if that's not <laughs> i like uh, i like where tax going with that and and it does bring up a good point that i wanted to add to his point it's like we we don't know a ton about vasher yet but he seems like pretty badass dude and these guys are convinced they're better swordsmen, or at yeah. least Denth is. Like, right. 
that that's not simple mercenary talk. And why would they even be acquainted with Thatcher? He doesn't seem like the kind of dude that just hangs out with mercenaries. But maybe I'm wrong. He's not a sociable guy. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he doesn't seem very social. That's true. Although, like the one sword that we've seen him with, he doesn't use in like a sword fighting way that we see. So maybe he's not good with sword. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a better swordsman. I just don't have a magic sword. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Yeah, um, I like I like both the perspectives we've heard. Uh, Dax, especially. Yeah, there's there's obviously something going on with these mercenary guys. So. I thought they might be on – like my theory was actually going the opposite way, that they might be good guys. But uh, now that we're talking about it, I, I like Dax's theory more is that they're actually like – they at least have their own agenda. Let's let's put it that way. If, even if yeah. they're not like evil dudes, I think they've definitely got their own agenda, and it may not line up at all with the Venice agenda. It may just be more that they're using her as a tool to kind of – or even a guise to get what they want accomplished accomplished which begs the question like did they were they using lemmix or when they knew the princess were was coming did they poison lemmix or you know and this this nurse person that they said didn't really know lemmix like how if, if we can't trust anything they've actually said then yeah it kind of makes you wonder how much manipulation behind the scenes that they've done here, if that is the case. So yeah, hmm. cool, cool idea. Yeah, I, I've, I'm with that. I feel like they at least definitely have their own agenda, even if they're not part of the big bad. They've got something else going on that they're trying to get accomplished. So we've got that piece, the series Susprawn thing. I think they're gonna become kind of partners in crime, even if they don't necessarily become lovers. Although there have some been some hints, especially in this section where she keeps talking about how attractive he is. So they may actually become lovers. I don't know, but I feel like uh, there's been a couple of sections that kind of hint that she actually does find him attractive. And so we've got that piece, uh, but they're going to become Bud. She's going to teach him and and they're probably going to form their own plots. And hopefully in such a way that they'll be able to uh, be able to get some stuff done that, uh, that they, you know, that maybe they'll be able to get a foothold in the uh, in the palace, which you know, as we know in Brandon Sanderson books, will probably go horribly wrong for them at some point. So we've got that to look forward to. Some drama, some stakes. I, I really, I got to be honest. I don't. Again, I'm not really even that interested in the light song. Larimar knew him before stuff. I, I'm not really that interested yet. Maybe uh, maybe it'll pique my interest later, but I'm really not that interested. I'm I'm still the most interested in Vasher. He's obviously the one who's been displaying the awakening power the most, and I, I want to know more about what his he, what he's got going on. If he's now somehow in the sub level of the gods, he he's trying to uncover something or find some kind of object or item or something of value, information, whatever that is. I think his plans are going to be the most not nefarious, but the most interesting. So I'm I'm more looking forward to what he, whatever he's got going on. All right, that's fair. I mean, he there's definitely a lot of mystery there, and I think we're encouraged to be interested in uh, like what the heck is he up to? Why is he doing what he's doing? Especially now that we've got not only his stuff, but we've got the the mercenaries kind of vouching for this 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 is an interesting guy. Look look at this guy, freaking Basher, taking all the attention <laughs> with his magic sword. <laughs> Backing on to Dak's theory, I've just been thinking, this is dangerous, you shouldn't let me think. But anyway, um, 
<laughs> so we think the mercenaries are bad. What if the mercenaries aren't all on the same side? So what if Dent actually killed their friends because they were equally skilled swordsmen, which then takes into account why there was no black around the wound because it wasn't night blood that was involved and they weren't equally matched. And so then Denth is playing a bigger game than the rest of them are. Oh, interesting. So he, yeah, he could be running some sort of con on his own people. That's interesting. So they're making it out that Vasher is awful when, because we've already seen Vasher kind of hold back. It's like, you can't, you can't, was it, you can't corrupt people like that are good. Yeah. So... Nightblood won't always be able to do what he needs to do, although, like, Nightblood will kill, obviously, but he already is showing restraint with Nightblood. Like, unless the fourth member of this crew did something really horrible, I can't imagine, from what we've seen so far, that Vasha would be like, kill, kill. Like, it's possible, but I reckon if you were going to put anyone there with an alternative agenda, it's probably him. He's also just had this really, I think it was Dent, kind of Dent or Chonks, one of them who had the really heartfelt conversation with Vivenna as well. You know, that could be a secret bad guy waiting to happen. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, that's, that's actually a good point. I, I, I'm trying to decide if I like that better or more than than Dax's idea where they're all in it together. Because there's, you know, one way Vivenna ends up feeling betrayed. But the other way, there's like a bunch of people end up feeling betrayed. That could That's potentially more dramatic and interesting. I kind of like that. Claude sad. <laughs> it's like, holy shit, he could talk. Yeah, who knew? I don't know uh, if we've established whether lifeless can talk or not. We we know they can bite. That's for sure. Okay, let's. Uh, yeah, these are some some very deep and interesting takes that we've had this time. I like uh, I like all of this. Okay, we'll we'll see where it goes. In the meantime, for next time, we are. Uh, we got a really long chapter coming up as the next chapter. Remember, we're not going to have an episode next week, so this will be for the week after next. But we're reading two chapters for next time, 22 and 23, because uh, oh. chapter 22 is quite lengthy. But until then, we have, we've got a new patron, a couple emails. Let's hit this stuff. On our Patreon page, where you can find all sorts of interesting things, like my reaction to the new books as I read them. We've uh, the first part of... Uh, uh, the the first chapter in the saga of the possum hunters is up there if you want to check it out and uh, we've got unboxings of the various year of sanderson boxes that i'm in on all that i was gonna say all that and more but no pretty much just that on on our patreon yeah, i was about to say <laughs> if that sounds interesting no that's it <laughs> yeah uh but we have one new patron this week at the ska level and it is the sad panda the sad panda yeah. that's so sad that All right, makes me uh, a sad panda. Yeah, sad panda. All right, sad panda, you are a brute. You store physical strength. That's why you're sad. so sad. Yeah, you're, you're strong. I, Don't be sad. We know why you're sad. <laughs> oh, full circle. Wow, that's uh, that's creepy. So I had to say it. Yeah, we know why you're sad. It's because you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> so okay. Thank you to all of our patrons. We appreciate you guys. You're awesome. In the meantime, hold on. What uh, what what uh, what what emails do we have? We got a couple emails that I was going to read this week. The first one is from Ryan slash Turtle Bear. 
on the Discord, they say. The title is Wider Theories. Hello, Data, Jamie, Dak, and Condra Joe, because he can spot a Condra from 300 pages and may actually be a Condra. It's uh, true. I may be made a goop. You don't know. I am nearly caught up to you. A Kandra's good at spotting other Kandras? I guess we don't know anyone who's honestly tried, I don't think. Because mm. the, the one time that a Kondra was trying to help Vin find another Kondra, it was that Kondra all along. Yeah, so, it was. <laughs> it was. Oh, I guess Maylon tried to help Wax along. figure out like where Bleeder was. And I don't know that yeah. she was particularly good at it. I mean, yeah, like if you want to go that way, I think the person who spotted Kandras all along was actually Wayne. Because he picked um, Gorgolin. That's true. He's That's good true. at that. Ryan says, I'm nearly caught up to you. I've almost finished with the lost with your Lost Metal series. It was a great book. I really enjoyed the connections to the Cosmere, though I read it so fast I missed some on my way through it. Your podcast has been great. I love listening to the first time readers experience the Cosmere. I'm looking forward to you reaching Stormlight Archive. I was wondering if you guys have any wider theories for the Cosmere at large now that you're a little deeper in. For example, do you have any theories about autonomy? If they had a home system, if so, which one? Regarding Era 3 of Mistborn, how do you think the metallic arts might be used in the space age? Actually, that'll be Era 4 at this point. But uh, will cadmium become more important? Slowing time in a spaceship for space travel, maybe? Maybe I will hear more of your theories after I finish your epilogue episode, but I wanted to write while thinking about it. Hearing the kids in the background makes me look for my own two-year-old, wondering if she's up to something. Thanks for a great (laughs) show, and enjoy the journey, wasn't to the time of next. I like that cadmium space travel idea. That's great. Yeah, Yeah, it's a cool idea. I think, what what is it, Data? It's been said that it's going to be like 1980s-style technology. Yeah, for the, for the next era, yeah. Yeah. So my thought was maybe it's going to be like a complete departure from like adventure and more like a thrilling, like corporate scheme, like... A uh, novel? Yeah, like a suspenseful corporate scheme, thrilling novel, something like that. That'd be interesting. Be an interesting change. And that would be different. I feel like there'd be a lot more focus on like soothing writing, like the more subtle arts. Mm. Of course, if al- if aluminum has become plentiful and everyone's got like aluminum lined hats, maybe that wouldn't be as relevant. Maybe not. But you know, have we? Duralumin can it break through on alum- like if you use Duralumin to to like soothe could it break through an aluminum lined hat or well, you'd, you'd have to be a Mistborn to use Duralumin to increase your oh, soothing and I don't think right. that we've seen a Mistborn try it since the that's, uh, that's correct I, I'd forgotten about that unless you unless you hemolurgied yourself unless you're hemolurgic yeah that's true yep. or maybe maybe you could get a medallion that could let you do it sure know. yeah yeah I think. Like we might have touched on a bit, I thought we, were, uh, I, I think, I think we were talking about Era Three being sort of like a Cold War style, you know, spy thriller kind of thing um, mm. between mm-hmm. um, between the North and the South, and like, yeah, that like, oh, trying to think how um, use the use the powers in that kind of a setting, but I think like that'd be a really interesting little twist to it. So many possibilities. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I do like the idea of a spy thriller. That would be fun. Otherwise, like if you're if you're looking, I think I heard something about 1980s technology. If you're looking at that sort of thing, maybe you'd have like one of those bad like 80s medical dramas. <laughs> An ER. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if they haven't discovered anesthetic yet, then maybe soothing would be really good for while someone's undergoing an operation. Interesting. Yeah, it could be. So we're losing your doctor. Ten more cc's of soothing. <laughs> 
<laughs> the story, there's just a dude sitting on a stool in the corner. It's like, all right, I'm on it. But the the other part of the question was, do you have any theories about uh, the Cosmere at large? I mean, they, they specifically asked, do you have any theories about autonomy and if she has a home system? But we've kind of already they, – they're only up to the lost metal. They haven't made it to White Sands yet, so they didn't uh, mm-hmm. see us talk about that. But yeah, yeah any other wider right. Cosmere at large theories that you guys have? I, the one that I've been nursing on for a long time is just that, like, what – the the sixteen shards came from a giant space dragon. Uh, yeah. That's like the thing I've been working on for a long time. So I think there's like, you know, crazy, crazy magical space dragons. Sure, as you do. I think we we talked about that at some like way back when. It's like okay, so that's roughly what happened, and then how Hoyd fits into it specifically. It's like, is he trying to yeah. gain all the powers himself, and then he's gonna. Is his plan to become the next space dragon or something? Yeah, oh, or the one. yeah. Go ahead. Maybe Hoyd was the space dragon, and that there was nothing, uh, no um, proper death of the space dragon, and now he's just trying to collect all his powers back up. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah, that's a cool idea. I I often think that maybe because Hoyd, you know is in so much of the lore and he's around all the time, I often wonder like if they do finally like okay we're gonna end the Cosmere and this is gonna be the culmination of everything if he'll be like the main character of that story. Hmm. I think I think Brandon has said that one of one of the later if not like last ones will be like the 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 space age Mistborn era. And I want to say that one question about it Brandon has said that Hoyd will be a major character in that. So like era four at this point, assuming he doesn't do something else in mm. between three and four. Yeah. Of course, the, the 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 prequel books, the Dragon Steel books, he will be a major character in because it'll be telling his story on some level. Hmm. Okay. I I do actually kind of I really like Jamie's idea that he was at an Alcium and it's like they took his power and then just sort of left him there and he's just like what the fuck guys and like now they just think oh he's just so like they still know who he is because um I think preservation. I uh, was to, like when uh, Kelsey was stuck in the well, like and he mentioned who came through and preservation's like, Oh, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's funny. Like we didn't, it's that might be like a, yeah, we didn't really bother killing. Cause like, we got his power. What's he going to do to us? And boy's just like, Oh, I'll fucking show you what I'm going to do to you. Yeah. What you going to do? Sexy you drift my way through this. Yeah. Sexy dragon drifter. Mm. The sexy dragon drifter. Coming to the theaters near you. <laughs> I don't know that I would go to see that movie. <laughs> the sexy dragon drifter? Yeah, no, I don't. Uh, that... actually, actually, yeah, when phrased like that, it does sound co- uncomfortably close to the dinosaur erotica. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> if you were, if dinosaur erotica wasn't enough for you this summer, <laughs> coming to theaters rated X for, for you know, X. <laughs> for the X. sexy dragon drifter. Have you ever wondered what giant scaly penis looks like? Well, now <laughs> oh, you're gonna know. No, no. In the sexy dragon drifter. Okay. Moving on from that email. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I get you. I get every once in a while you gotta give them what they want. Yeah, Thanks, yeah. Ryan. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> so, Ryan is just what going are you apologizing for. <laughs> Yo, no, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ryan's out here like I didn't ask for this. No. Why? Why, Joe? Yeah, you okay. called down the thunder, and now you got it. <laughs> we have one other email, but it's uh, specifically for the last episode of Warbreaker, so we're going to save Kim's email till we get there. That'll be that'll be a little while from now. So, 
if anyone else would like to send us emails, the address is thesanderlanch at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram and Facebook and Patreon and Twitter and all sorts of interweb places. Music by Miracle of Sound. Uh, if you want to join the Discord and get in on all the exciting discussions that happen there, uh, what are we talking about today? Uh, Reaper is uh, reading 1984 before Secret Project 3 comes out, and it got into a discussion about uh, classic novels and Fahrenheit 451. So that's the kind of things we were talking about today on the Discord. All right. Sweet. Yeah, Sweet. So we want to get in on exciting Fahrenheit 451 level discussion. Join up to the Discord. Uh, you can find the link at the top of our website. If you're on mobile, you got to open the menu to find it. Yeah. Remember, everybody, two more, not, not no new episode next week, but two chapters for the week after that, chapter 22 and 23, for those of you following along, because uh, 22 is a long chapter, and honestly, 23 is not uh, super short itself. So thanks, everybody. We appreciate everyone who listens out there, our emailers, our patrons, people hanging out on the Discord. You're all awesome. Wasing to the time of next. Hold on.